Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss Intel being all the rage right now. Intel is spending big dollars to get their crown back and trying to make a lot of fans along the way. Let's discuss their strategy and what this could mean for the supply chain. Then we head to Camera Corner where Wendy will discuss, is it worth getting that entry-level camera body? So sit back, relax, and plug in. This hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been doing in the tech world? I've got a couple things to talk about, actually. So first of all, there is a mini PC that the Manjaro team has been talking about this week, and we were able to get a review unit to check out, and it arrived today. Now, it's still in the box, technically. So, well, I mean... Who better to review it than you? So for me to have it, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. So why was it sent to you if it would have been better for Ryan to review it? Well, we were supposed to get together to do a review. And then he got sick. Yeah, and so it's all <laughs> been thrown out the door. But anyways, it's going to come to me. And guess what? This is a little powerhouse. I was actually showing this to Wendy before the show. We're talking this little mini PC as a Ryzen 7 3750H and a Radeon RX Vega 10 graphics in it comes pre-installed with Manjaro, and the prices are really low on this device. For instance, you can get the 16 gigabyte version with 512 gigabyte SSD for 539, or you can get the 16 gigabyte with 256 gigabyte SSD for 499. But the best part is that it's a do-it-yourself upgrade friendly device as well. So if you wanna just start with the 256 and add in more storage later, it has room for that extra storage. In fact, you can even put a 2.5-inch SATA drive into this as well. So you can use the NVMe M2, or you can use the 2.5-inch SATA drive, which is very cool. It can power up to three of the 4K 60 hertz monitors in it. It's really a neat little device. I'm pretty excited to get my hands on this. And it has plenty of ports as well, but you could do pretty much anything that you could do with a standard laptop with this little device. I mean, you could be editing GIMP, you could do Krita, you could be doing Blender stuff, you could use this as a media server, you could do all kinds of cool stuff with this little device. So I'm pretty excited to get my hands on it. Well, now I want to play with it first. (laughs) Would it be overkill to upgrade the kitchen system to one of these? Well, it's funny you said that, Wendy. I'm sad that you said that because I was thinking when we were talking earlier that this is what I could use to destroy your kitchen build and have a cooler kitchen build than you finally, because those who've been with us from the beginning episodes know that that was a challenge that was thrown down. And now that this is being sent to me, guess who's going to have the coolest kitchen build ever? Me, Wendy. Me. For now, (laughs) or until you have to send the review unit back. That's just mean, Wendy. That's just so mean. But there's (laughs) going to be be a lot of fun with this little device here. We'll see what we can kick off and do with this thing. I'll put it through some tests. But I've got, I I like that it's so small, you could actually mount it to the back of a TV. In fact, it's got VESA mount support, and there's a bracket included that allows you to mount it right to the back of a monitor or a TV. And so it's so tiny and so portable. There's so many cool things that you could do with this little device, and it's a great price. And it comes from with Manjaro Linux. So if you've ever been wanting to get into Linux and check it out, then this would be kind of a cool little device to play with. What other hardware did you get, Michael? I got a new uh, gaming controller, actually. So this is a funny story. Uh, Turns out if you play one game a lot, maybe too much, you can mess up a button because you use the button more than anything else. And it turns out that some of these controllers, specifically the Xbox-style controllers, the like RB and LB buttons aren't meant to be used all the time with massive frequency. And that's what I use for Rocket League stuff. And uh, so I broke it. thought it was just like jank because, you know, the, the first time that happened, this is the second time that happened. The first time it happened, I thought it was just like a defective controller. And turns out, I think it's because I just play that game a lot. And I don't know. It just 
I guess it wears down. Well, you're too not much, just so. a regular player of Rocket League either. For those who don't listen to DL, you're like a ranked player. You're in the top percentage of players with this. You play this game hard. You're yes. not like just a casual player. Yeah, it's, I'm not just hitting the button for like you know the basic stuff. No, and I actually have it the converted, so I have my controller scheme specific to how I want to play and all that. Uh, and yeah, I am. I do play at like higher tiers, so I do hit it you know, much more frequent because I'm doing like a lot more elaborate acrobatic stuff. But the the thing that's interesting is that I found a, a, a controller on Amazon that was uh, a Power A Spectra Infinity. It's a controller that is basically an Xbox. Like it's, an, it's basically an Xbox controller. And it has, uh, it's wired because I wanted the wired because the wireless then I had to deal with all the, you know, the different latency and I don't want to deal with that. Uh, but What's cool is that it has all the basic functionality. It's detected as an Xbox controller, and it also has a bunch of extra stuff, including uh, some like these. You know, like the uh, Steam controller had the flat, like the flappy panels in the back of it. Uh, this has those as well, so you can have custom buttons doing specific things if you is want. Flappy to. panels, the correct term for them. Flappy panels is what the the car people call those things that like Formula One drivers have on their steering wheels. And I don't know what they're called on controller, but that's what they remind me of. So that's what I call them. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> flappies. But, I like it. It's got flappies with it. And they're, they're flappy panels. Wendy will love that it has RGB as well. Like there's full It does on have RGB. RGB. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's RGB around the controller and also around every button. So Wendy would love that part. But the reason why I even got this to try it is because it's like half the price of a regular Xbox controller, like official controller. So I tried, I just bought it out, out of a whim to see if it could provide the same kind of skill, whatever, but not actually hurt my, it not make me really annoyed that the button messes up as much because it's, it's half the price. And uh, it, so far, it's been great. And also, uh, Wendy would love the fact that the RGB does give me an extra five boost in the game. So it's great. True. I was just going <laughs> to ask you that. You guys keep telling me that RGB is there so you get more FPS during your games. And you answered that question before I even needed to ask. <laughs> Supposedly, it does. You can have your rainbow vomit. <laughs> rainbow. Those buttons on the back, Michael, are called paddles. Okay? They're not. So I, I did basically flappies. say that. No, they're flappy paddles. <laughs> They're just paddles, <laughs> not flappy paddles. I, I mean, I, I agree to disagree. Okay, deal. But here's the thing <laughs> I want to say is that Power A has been making a cheaper version of controllers. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they fail really hard for a while. This one has really good reviews, 2,600, four and a half star reviews on it. But if this breaks and or you don't like it, the next controller I would like to see someone to your skill level get in that game is the Elite controller that Xbox makes. So instead of looking for the cheaper version, go for the Pro controller and see if that makes a big difference because I have some friends mm. that swear it's made all the difference in the world in their gaming. Okay, well, def I didn't even know there was an Elite controller. So now that I know that there is one, well, of course, I have to try it, right? And it has flappy paddles. Oh, so. yes. Flappy paddles that for the win. There you go. Wendy, what kind of hardware did you get this week? This is actually hardware that helps me use all of the other hardware in the house. I had contacts way before I had children, and during those little years, I really didn't want to deal with it. So I wore glasses. And for the last five years, I have had blue light blocking lenses built into my everyday prescription glasses. Well, this January, I got contacts again for the very first time in over 17 years and was missing my blue light blocking glasses so bad. I picked up a pair of these, oh my gosh, oh so hideous blue light blocking glasses. They were cheap. And one of the downsides of these glasses, as you probably would know, they cast this horrible yellow tint all over everything. These ones were massive. If you follow me on Mastodon, you can see what I look like in those horrific glasses. I did share an image of it there, but I went ahead and ordered a pair of blue light blocking glasses that are non-prescription from the same place that I've been getting my glasses for the last five years. They finally showed up today. I am so excited that they are here. 
They are much smaller. They look way better on my face. Also shared a picture of that on Mastodon. And they're almost completely clear. That's what I absolutely love about these glasses is because they are mostly clear. Yeah, there is a tiny little yellow hue to them. So if you want to double check color accuracy of something, you can just pop them up and take a look. But for the most part, you are able to do so much work with them without them looking funny. That's one of the reasons why I love them as my prescription glasses, because it didn't look like I was constantly walking around with this yellow hue over my eyes. And if you are light sensitive, these are absolutely amazing. I think blue light blocking glasses are a must for this day and age, especially for those of us who spend so much time looking at whether it's computer screens, phone screens, tablet screens, they're the way to go. And I'm glad I got a better pair now on my face. Do you think it's worth doing the contact style with these kinds of glasses or doing the prescription style where it's built into the regular prescription? It really depends on what you want. Part of the reason why I wanted contacts again was I had my regular glasses and then I had prescription sunglasses. I would decide, oh, I don't need to take in my purse, that bag that's full of absolutely flipping everything. I'll just take in my wallet. I'd get into the store realize, oh yeah, I'm wearing my sunglasses and I'm nearsighted. So in order to read the signs, I have to keep my sunglasses on while going through the store <laughs> so I could read what was going on. So you look like one of those people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was one of those people. And just to be able to save myself some time, I can have a really, really nice pair of sunglasses. I can have a really nice pair of blue light blocking glasses and then my contacts for everything else. I did grab a prescription pair of glasses and of course they have the blue light blocking built into them once again because there's no way I'd ever want to have a pair of glasses period that doesn't have the blue light blocking built into them. Well, your new glasses look dope. I saw the picture of them on Mastodon way better than those other things. Maybe you could leave a link for those glasses that we could put in the show notes for other people who want the blue light blocking out there and can check them out. Absolutely. We're going from super awesome blue light blocking glasses to woes with the Mac once again. How you doing, Ryan? So this is an interesting story because those who are really observing the backgrounds when I'm doing Destination Linux Live have been commenting about seeing this particular Mac in the background, a trash can style Mac from 2013. And this is an Apple Mac Pro that was sitting on the desk of somebody who I work with and does business with Destination Linux. And it was just sitting there. It wasn't plugged in. And I asked them, what are you doing with that thing? Because those things actually get a lot of money. And they said, well, you know, I just am not going to sell it. And it's just sitting there. And you could put it up on eBay or sell it for me. I took this thing home, started playing with it. Everything seemed to be working perfect got it ready, put it up on eBay, sold it, and it came right back to me. And the reason it came back to me is something that keeps stumping me. I don't know what's wrong with this device, which is very unusual for me. So this device is an Apple Mac Pro 6.1. It has an Intel Xeon E5-1620. It has 48 gigabytes of RAM and a 500 gigabyte NVMe. Now, the person kept their original drive and I did replace that drive with a new drive, which is where I'm thinking now is the problem. So I got a new drive, I installed it, put the OS on it. And what happens is periodically this server randomly will just reset, restart itself or completely freeze. Now, my first thought was maybe it's the RAM. The RAM is going bad. So I had ordered different RAM. I put that in. It's still locking up freezing randomly. Then my next thought was, well, maybe I need to look and see if there's any cooling issues because it is a trash can after all, where they packed a Xeon processor and two D300 video cards in it. it has dual video cards inside of it. And so maybe that's causing some problems, but everything was clean inside. I've had absolutely no airflow issues. Measuring temperatures looks really good. So my only thought is that the NVMe drive that I put in and replaced when I got this device is defective somehow. And these devices are known to be very finicky with the operating system that's put on them, but technically they support Monterey, which is the latest version of Mac OS. So I have another NVMe drive on its way, but if that doesn't work, 
the net leads me to believe it's either the Intel Xeon processor having problems or it's the dual AMD Fire Pro D300s, which because it's Mac are very expensive to replace. Of course, it run anywhere between six and $700, which would eat every bit of profit left out of this thing. So at the end of the day, I wanted to help somebody kind of repair something and make some money on it. And it's turned into a little bit of a nightmare that I can't figure out what's wrong with this little thing. So I'm gonna keep working on it. But if anybody in the audience listening has worked with these before, you got some idea of what might be causing it, let me know, because I'm not an expert in Mac Pro trash cans, clearly. This went from being a money plus to a money pit. Exactly. It's become a money pit because a lot of the stuff I can't send back the RAM and I don't know if the drive was bad, but I already gave positive feedback for the drive because I generally buy these parts on eBay. And so it's one of those things where I'm kind of stuck. I'm collecting all these parts for a machine that I'd never planned on keeping to begin with. So yeah, it's a money pit. AKA Apple products. That's kind of well said. Yeah. Speaking of Apple products, I actually have a new video on the DOS Geek channel, by the way, just released today, the day we're recording this. And that video is about the new Apple M1. So a lot of you were also asking me questions about how I liked that as a Linux user. And so you could check that video out and find out directly. Something you should also check out is our sponsor for this week's episode, and that is DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is an awesome service, and they have even new cool stuff that they're talking about every single month. And we're going to be talking about the app platform, and this is because that helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever with a simple, intuitive interface. You simply point the app platform to your GitHub or your GitLab repository and let it do all of the heavy lifting for you. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, static sites, Docker, or container images, all of these work with the app platform, and you just set it and forget it. That's not really their slogan, but that's how I like to think about it. And by running the app platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your cost significantly lower than with other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. And as a listener of the Hardware Ags podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app with their app platform for free. Actually, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. So we've talked a lot about Intel in past episodes and some of our hopes and dreams to see this company come back because competition is ultimately a good thing. And Intel has been in the news a lot lately. So I kind of wanted to cover some of the things that they're doing because Intel has definitely had a rough time losing its crown of the king of CPUs. It's kind of caught sleeping on the job, I want to say, when AMD Ryzen dropped. But they're doing some really unique things, getting themselves back into action. And a lot of that, of course, because they got a new CEO as well which I think is making some really interesting moves. And I want to cover those here. The first move is they're trying to address the chip shortage. Now we know the chip shortage is affecting everything. It's not just all of us who want to get new GPUs, but it's affecting cars, appliances, refrigerators, pretty much everything now has some kind of chip inside of it. And there's a shortage of chips everywhere. It's driving the cost of everything up. And there's no quick fix to this problem but there are steps to make sure that we don't continue to have this problem forever. And Intel, despite having just announced $20 billion that they're spending on two new fabrication sites in Arizona, has also announced another fabrication site in Columbus, Ohio. And this is a really big deal because in the US, we only make 12% of the world's chips. We used to make in the 1990s, 37% of the chips. So if you think about chip shortage, you think about national security, you think about supply chain, all of this stuff is being completely blown out of proportion because we don't produce anything here in the US. All the production's done over in Asia, which is fine, but what if a natural disaster hits? What if something hits Taiwan? What's gonna happen then when 80% of the manufacturing is done there? Well, that's just a terrible idea. You need to have manufacturing everywhere 
And thankfully, Intel is doing something about that. Now, it's not just because Intel is just a fantastic company that wants to bring a bunch of jobs to the U.S. There's also, of course, the CHIPS Act, which the government has earmarked $52 billion for, for semiconductor production. So that's certainly giving them some motivation. But it, I think it's really cool to see that they are looking to address this problem directly because it's an issue we need to go away, especially as hardware addicts. This is probably one of the best things to come out of all of the turmoil that's been going on for the last two years, really seeing that we can no longer rely on these other places in order to provide the chips that we need for everything that they use. While I can't wait for the chip shortage to no longer be a thing, because I really do want to upgrade my GPU. I love the fact that at least there's a positive that's coming out of this. And two of those facilities aren't going to be too far away from me. I'm in Idaho. I know I won't get to go down and tour them like some of the big YouTube channels might, but gosh dang it, I'd love to. You might get to, because you're on Hardware Addicts. You're like one of the most important parts of Hardware Addicts, in fact. As soon as we name drop that, I think they're going to give you a tour of that, Wendy. Absolutely. No problems. Boom. Not only is Intel doing this, though, TSMC is also building a fabrication plant in Arizona, which is rumored to focus on five nanometer chips. So we have TSMC coming here as well. And I think that's because they realize, listen, if there is a natural disaster, we need redundancy as well. And they're probably going to get some funds from that chip act as well. So that's a really good policy, right? We're going to get some things that are going to be domestically created, and that's going to create thousands of jobs. I was originally from Ohio. Ohio was a state that was just completely wrecked when a lot of corporations like car companies just abandoned that state. And when that happened, the state just kind of collapsed. And it's been rebuilding itself since. But seeing jobs come to a place like Ohio, I think, is really important, too, you're talking something like 3,000 Intel jobs, 7,000 construction jobs, ten of thousands, tens of thousands of indirect local long-term jobs, and $100 million over the next decade, Intel said that they will spend on partnerships with local educational organizations to help research programs and educate local talent so that people in Ohio can really benefit from this. So if you're listening from Ohio right now, you got a lot of cool stuff coming to your state potentially here with Intel. And all in all, I think this is great news for the chip shortage. We've got two really powerhouse companies going to be making chips here domestically. And like I said, this is not going to fix the chip shortage tomorrow, but it's certainly something in the future that's going to help a lot. And maybe we can get back to more of that 37% we had in the 90s and not the 12% of production that we have today. This is actually really awesome. I mean, I give Intel a little bit of a hard time with their terrible naming schemes of stuff and also the fact that amd has just kind of punched them in the gut for the past few years and intel's always been a a company that has been around for so long and had that dominance and to go from that you know to be a secondary to the thing at some points people didn't even consider it and i i think this is a wonderful decision on the on Intel side to you know not even just you know help the supply chain but also make it more diverse so that they can have the variety being able to build uh, the stuff that they want to do because Intel has has been known for doing manufacturing themselves for a while at least in their just research and development kind of stuff and uh, this way this could you know bring that back into like the the yesteryears or whatever you want to call it of what Intel used to be. And I'm looking forward to it because if that once the competition that is, you know, back to where it was, uh, I think that it'd be great for everyone involved. And I'm looking forward to it, not only because of the CPU benefits and the chip shortages and stuff like that, but also the GPUs that Intel announced, because maybe this would apply to those as well. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about GPUs in a second. It's also rumored in the news, which is interesting, talking about supply chain. And this just hit today that NVIDIA supposedly... This is just a rumor right now, but it's circulating all over the news is not going to be able to acquire ARM. There's too many lawsuits and everything else that have hit, and they're supposedly going to pull out of that deal there. So this leaves ARM independent again, which I think ultimately a lot of people feel is going to be a good thing. I wasn't mad NVIDIA would be buying ARM, but it does put a lot of control in one company. And so having ARM continue to be independent, having NVIDIA continue to, you know, their same path that they've been on, which they're dominating, mm -hmm. of course, in the GPU market, 
I think ultimately is better for the consumer than consolidating all of these companies into just two or three top companies out there. So that will be some interesting news to see how that kind of shifts ARM's overall plans in the chip market. I also think that ARM is at a size that it really doesn't need to be acquired. It's already so like widespread that if any company was to acquire it and they're in the hardware space already, there would automatically be a conflict of like, do they have too much power now? So if anybody was to acquire ARM, it would have to be something that's completely irrelevant to that space. Otherwise, it's just so widespread with all the embedded devices and the smartphones and all that stuff. It wouldn't matter who it is at that point, I guess, because if that's the reason why they didn't, the people are saying that they shouldn't get it, then that would apply to pretty much any hardware company. Absolutely. NVIDIA is a very powerful company on its own. They've been doing very, very well in the stock market. They've been nailing it in their earnings, and I don't think they need ARM, and I don't think the consumers, it would really help the consumers. So if that if they do lose it, I think that's ultimately better for the overall community. If they do get it, it's not, it's not a company that I'm like, oh, why does it have to be them? But I still think it's just a consolidation of too much power. But there's more things that Intel's doing. Mentioning cryptocurrency now, and I, I found this out the hard way, apparently is now forbidden according to the New Orwellian Newspeak Dictionary. Those who are familiar with George or- Orwell will know what I mean. Uh, so you can't mention <laughs> cryptocurrency without getting completely eaten up alive in the social media as Mozilla and others have found out recently. Well, unless you have diamond hands. Unless you have diamond hands in HODL, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so the Newspeak Dictionary forbids it. Don't mention cryptocurrency. But we're going to take the risk here. We like to live on the edge in hardware addicts. And so does Intel, apparently, too. Because instead of throwing the entire idea of cryptocurrency and all the energy that was spent mining it in the first place, they're trying to find a solution to make it viable and use a lot less energy. So the rumor is Intel is expected to announce a Bonanza mine chips. Bonanza, you said that you hate their naming scheme. Is Bonanza good? I always think of that show Bonanza with the cowboys. <laughs> I still think it's terrible. I don't like it's, Bonanza. It's not, a, it's not a great name. For a second when yeah. I first saw it, I thought it said Banana Not Mine. I'm like, that's a we- oh, Bonanza. I'm, that's kind I of- like Banana Mine. Banana Mine yeah. would have been good. Yeah. As far as their naming goes, it's probably one of their better naming schemes just because it's so much easier to remember than a lot of the other stuff that they've got going on. Not great, yes. but snappier it's an or not necessarily to their snappier. Previous, yeah. <laughs> Memorable. Yeah. But that it's not that hard to improve from terrible to slightly above above bad. It's like a little bit uh, <laughs> Well, Intel is expected to announce either way, whether we like the name or not, their Bonanza mine chip at the International Solid State Circuits Conference coming here in February, right around the corner. And what this is supposed to do is they're going to be partnering with a Bitcoin mining startup called Grid. And they will be that company is going to be the first one to utilize Intel's Bonanza mine processors. And these processors are ultra low energy consumption processors. So the entire idea is... One of the big issues people have, and rightfully so, is the energy consumption that goes into mining these coins. But again, instead of throwing out all of the work that's been done, all of the mining and energy and just saying, let's just throw away cryptocurrency and never look at it again, Intel's coming in saying, hey, what if we create these processors that are super ultra low power consumption, but really efficient in mining these coins and utilize that instead? So we'll see what that's all about. We'll see what the power consumption is and how good it is. But I like the idea that they're looking to solve the problem without throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of concept. And I think ultimately there's a lot in the cryptocurrency market where they're trying to do things like that. I'm not recommending cryptocurrency. I'm not saying go buy cryptocurrency. I'm not saying it's a great idea overall, but we did spend a ton of GPUs and energy to mine what has been there. And I don't think it's just going to go away. So I think it's better to try to find solutions for things because let's face it, computers used to fill an entire room and take a lot of energy to keep cool back in the day. And now we have things like the M1 processors, which barely use any energy. So we solve these things over time. And I think that's ultimately good. Yeah, it's it's very interesting there, Trish. And part of this is solving the fact that once you are done, once other people are done mining crypto, they want to get out of it. It's flooded with all of these graphics cards on the market. 
and you're not entirely sure how they've been used, if they tell you that they've been used for cryptocurrency, thank goodness. But then what is that life? What is that performance of that card going to be? Who knows how hot it got with the long term that it was running? Thanks, Intel, for working on something like this. So the rest of us who want GPUs to be used as, you know, a regular GPU can have those right. again. I, I think 100% that's the case. And look, I think the PC gaming industry is suffering because of this GPU loss. I have more and more people who were big PC gamers just going to console now. They have completely resulted to console because even though there's a shortage there too, they're more capable of getting a console and more likely to get a console than they are to get a GPU. And the prices aren't as bad when they can get them. I mean, Sony PlayStation's created a program where if you are a PlayStation Now member, you could basically sign up for a PS5 on their website and they're going to let you order directly from them as soon as one's available, helping kind of get rid of the scalpers and other things. They've done a lot more than the GPU market has to kind of help stop the scalping. And there's still a shortage there, but I think this ultimately is going to hurt the PC gaming industry the longer this keeps up. I think more and more people will start just gaming on consoles. Now, it's interesting when you look at the gaming industry because mobile gaming is the most worth the most amount of money at $90.7 billion in 2021. Now, I've covered this in Destination Linux. The gaming industry is massive. It's bigger than the entire music industry and movie industry combined. So just mobile gaming alone is $90.7 billion. PC market is $35.9 billion in 2021, and that's compared to consoles, which generated $49.2 billion in sales in 2021. So consoles are already outselling games compared to the PC, and mobile, of course, is killing everybody. And I can't help but think it's only going to get worse for PC if we don't start getting these GPUs back into the market. And Intel is looks like they're looking at ways to solve this, and I dig it. Speaking of GPUs, let's not forget Intel is playing in the GPU field as well. And we've covered their Intel GPU lineup in its entirety on a prior episode. But recently, there's some new news that broke that I thought was super cool. Intel's Arc Alchemist. Now, the Alchemist is a good name, Michael. I like the Alchemist. The Arc Alchemist is a cool name, and then they ruin it with the XE-HPG after the fact. You're not wrong. But the high-performance gaming designation there with the HPG, but this discrete graphics card was just <laughs> spotted in a leaked benchmark, and guess what kind of performance it was showing, Michael? I, I assume good because you said it was cool, but I don't, I don't know. It's really good. It was slightly <laughs> above... It was slightly above the NVIDIA RTX 3070 Ti. And oh, that's wow. a really powerful card. And this is Intel's kind of entry into this market. This would a lot of people, if they can indeed, if these benchmarks are true and they release these onto the market, a lot of people would be happy to put one of these Arc Alchemists into their machine if it's gaming at that kind of level. Yeah, that, that seems like a very, not even just reasonable, but like just a solid option for people. Now, obviously, NVIDIA's got the 3080 and the 3090, but the 3070 Ti is nothing to laugh at. I would like to have a 3070 Ti as well. That's a fantastic gaming card. You could do a lot of great gaming on that card, and I think it would be cool if Intel enters the market there. we got more GPU competition. This would be really awesome, and Intel can compete with NVIDIA and AMD on their mid-tier gaming cards and make a lot of people gobble these up. We got another competitor making more GPUs. This is so good. I'm so excited for things that are going on with Intel. That Intel CEO change up. Do you remember back in the day when we were starting in Hardware Addicts, we all mentioned that they needed to do a change in leadership. And look what mm -hmm. happened when they did. Look what happened when they did. And Intel is a very loved company as well in the open source community. Michael, you've been in the open source community way longer than me. Intel has been devoted to supporting open source for a oh, yeah. long time. Decades. They were the first to, like a lot of people give AMD credit for being the open source uh, beacon, but that's only because they are in the GPU space, whereas Intel wasn't. So it, it, you saw AMD versus NVIDIA all the time, but the AMD versus Intel, they're, they're both open source advocates. And Intel has been not only just an advocate to open source, they have been proactively pushing open source the most of any company in terms of hardware that I've seen for years. I mean, 
at least two decades at this point because they they were the first to jump in. They were the first to push it, and every single new uh, card that is uh, released inside uh, for it's, it's available to all of the different open source uh, systems. So if you have a Linux system and you want to get an Intel, you will have no problem with support. All you need to do is have the latest kernel, and even sometimes they'll put the driver support before the cards even out. So like you'll have some people talk about, yeah, like people have uh, issues with AMD not getting the driver support before they, you know, when they release the thing, you have to wait for a little bit to get a better improvements. Whereas Intel's doing it before they release it. And some of the times people find out new reports of what's happening with their, with what they're doing based on the stuff they do with the Linux kernel. And that's just another example of how Intel has been awesome for a long time. And with them jumping in the GPU space as well, and I hope they haven't, I haven't seen any specifics about them being open source friendly with the GPUs, but if they do that as well, then I'm going to be equally interested in Intel versus AMD, way more tempted to check out the Intel's GPU at that point, because then that's two major hardware companies that are absolutely like recognizing that open source is the one of the most important philosophies that you could attach to adoption of hardware, software, or whatever. And I am super excited about that. NVIDIA is one of the players out there that has really stayed back from open source for a long time. Now, they're starting to get better, but they're kind of the lame duck in the open source world. And AMD recently has done well. But again, like you said, their drivers are late. Intel's always done well which is one of the reasons why I really, really like Intel and wanted to see them kind of get back in. Now, I love AMD. Mm-hmm. I love Lisa Sue. I think it's an amazing company, an amazing turnaround story. But ultimately, I want the most competition possible. And everything Intel's doing here that we talked about, from the GPU to the Bitcoin to the fabrication plants, all of this stuff, to me, makes me really excited about Intel in the future. I mean, changing the CEO and like AMD did and Intel's doing it, it's kind of like a similar path. So if they follow what AMD did or even do, you know, do something innovative and like I am super excited to what can be done. So I guess when we talked about Intel needs a you know, change in leadership, uh, you're welcome, Intel. You're welcome, Intel. Now let Wendy <laughs> tour your plant. Yes, I need to absolutely come tour everybody's plant. I need to see how it's different between. Don't worry, I won't share your secrets, but the geek in me just has to know. Intel isn't the only thing that has been super awesome when it comes to open source. The other one is our sponsor, Bitwarden, the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords, and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is this easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Say you want to support the super awesome open source software. You can get that for just $10 per year. What comes with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, plus Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you want to show your appreciation and sign up for that premium edition, especially where it starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us, is it worth getting those entry-level camera bodies out there? Right now, most of you are probably looking at the phone that's in your pocket, that's on your desk, that you may be listening to this podcast from and are thinking, yeah, this is good enough. Do I actually need that camera body? And in the case of the phone in your pocket, it would depend on what are you doing with those images? Are you just sharing them with friends and family on social media? Are you just keeping them for yourself? And you're not really interested in learning the in and outs of a camera body, I'd say, hey, don't worry about it. Just use the one you have in your pocket. Let's take the person that's decided, no, I would like to use a quote unquote real camera. 
an old-fashioned style camera, should I go with the base level, entry level camera body, or should I get something that's uh, a little bit nicer? I think this really can go one of two ways. One, yes, go ahead and get that entry level body. Most people are working on a budget. Right now, we've talked about all of the shortages and those entry level cameras really do hold their value for very long time. So if you end up growing out of the camera body, great, you can sell it and get a different one. If you decide you really don't want to learn the ins and outs, the basic body does everything you need, then you can just focus on buying lenses or other camera goodies because trust me, there's lots of other great stuff to buy, especially if you go into landscape photography or taking more pictures of people. There's lots of stuff to get your hands on. When I think about the entry-level camera, I'm looking at my Sony A6100 and wondering, is that considered an entry-level body or is that intermediate? I don't think it's pro, but what would you consider the mirrorless line? Like Michael's pointed out before, it's really difficult to just off the top of my head say that for Sony because the way they number things is really, really crazy. The way they number things is awful, but the the A6100 is the current gen the low tier of the current gen. So this is more of the entry level body that you would have. But one of the things that I noticed about this, I used to do a lot of my B-roll footage and pictures for that matter from my phone itself. Then as I got the new mirrorless camera, I started doing the B-roll footage, the filming, as well as the pictures with that camera. And it makes such a big difference. It's annoying to get the camera off its mount and everything because I have it mounted for when we do the video Mm -hmm. podcast and stuff. It takes a lot of work and it's already a lot of work to be doing all the footage and stuff. So it's one of those moments where I'm like, it'd be easier just to use my phone. But the Mm -hmm. difference in the quality is so big. And I have the Apple devices and I have the new Pixel 6, all of which are supposed to have some of the greatest cameras. You could shoot a movie with them according to the commercials and all this stuff, but they don't compare to the Sony mirrorless. So even though this is a beginner or entry level camera body, maybe intermediate, depending, I feel like the quality that you get is so superior that if you were to take it even for kids events or things that are really important that you really want to get those good shots at like a sporting event and things that it's worth everyone at least having one good dedicated camera versus just relying on the camera on your phone. It's sure it's super convenient and they're getting better and better and better every iteration. But the difference between the two, even with the current gen phones that I have and the Sony mirrorless are night and day. That is a very, very good point to bring up because the quality, even though they do say camera phones are top notch, you just can't beat the difference. And a lot of that comes with the sensor size and the sheer amount of information that can be gathered on a larger sensor that you just at this point can't fit into a smaller one. But if you aren't going to pull that camera out and use it, there really is no point in buying one. But at the same time, on that note, if you know that you have certain things that you want in a camera body, you really want to learn how to use it, and it's going to be a tool that you're packing with you to children's events, to all the different things that you're doing, don't be afraid to skip that entry level and buy one with the features you want. So I'm going to give an example of my first two Nikon camera bodies. I went with the entry level on that. I was doing some fantastic stuff with it, but it wasn't long until I'd outgrown the features. It didn't have the image bracketing that I needed anymore. It didn't have the internal motor for specific lenses. So if it didn't have the motor in the lens, then it wasn't going to work. The camera body that I ended up moving up to was so much more functional in the features that were built into it. So had I started with that camera body, it would have saved me a step or frustrations in going to do things as I was learning more and just not being able to do them with the technology that I have. My overall recommendation for you is 
buy something, A, based on the budget you have. We all have to work with that. Don't drop money that you don't have for a camera body. Really be thinking about what you're going to be doing with this camera and the images that you're going to be taking. There's nothing wrong with buying used older model camera bodies. The images that they're going to produce is still so much higher quality than the phone in your pocket. And if you have any questions, any questions at all, when it comes to cameras and trying to pick the right one for you with what you're going to be doing on it, why don't you start a thread on the discourse forum? There is an entire line there just for cameras and photography, and I would love to chat with you about it. Michael, where would they go to put a thread to talk to Wendy about a camera? That's a good question. How about the DLNforum.com? Because that's where all of the great conversations happen on the forums, the community forums at DLNforum.com. That's DLNforum.com. I feel like a little infomercial there. Wendy, I actually do have a question, and maybe it's one we can uh, talk about in the forums because I'm sure it may vary by device. But when you're buying a used camera body, and let's say I find one in the price points with the features that I want. Is there something I should look for as far as how many photos that camera has taken where there's kind of a cutoff limit or a camera's not going to last past a certain amount that I should be leery of? If you're going mirrorless, that's not as much of a concern. Now, if you are going with an older body or a style that still has a mirror in it, the mechanics of that mirror flipping up and down do have an impact on its longevity. Not only is how many times it's taken pictures going to affect its longevity, but the conditions that it was stored in. At this point anymore, my number one recommendation would be to go mirrorless. And if you're going to buy a mirror camera, a DSLR, don't go eBay just because it's hard to know for sure the conditions that that camera's been in. It hasn't necessarily been looked at by a professional. I would say go the route of B&H or Autorama, one of those places where they know cameras. They would have people looking at that stuff to make sure it's in really, really good conditions and that you can ask questions and have a good customer service relationship with. Otherwise, stick to the mirrorless camera bodies it's one of those things that I really like to see before buying. Now, I did buy the one lens off eBay, but I'm not as worried about the lens in particular holding up. I knew it was an older lens. I knew it was a manual focus. It had really, really good pictures, but there's so much more going on with camera bodies that for your first one, for sure, stick to some of those more reputable sources for the used ones. And this could be an issue too, I would imagine, with not only the picture counts and things, but also the mirror itself being scratched or damaged or foggy. And while you may notice that if you're a professional right away, if you're not a professional and you get that camera off eBay, well, you can return things on eBay and you didn't notice it right away, you may be stuck with that. And that's going to be much harder for you than to turn around and resell as well. Uh, without taking the risk of it being sent back. So I think the idea of going mirrorless is a really good one for a lot of people, especially in the entry world. And then you can always upgrade from there because cameras do keep their value pretty well. And so if you start with a mirrorless and you decide you want to go more traditional route, you can always resell that mirrorless and pick something else up along the way as well. Any other advice for entry-level camera? Don't be afraid of the kit lenses. Kit lenses are a great place to start. They give you a wide range to take pictures with. I wouldn't go body only anyway if you were buying just your first camera. They do have kit styles of the used ones on these more reputable sites. Kit lenses still are great. Are they going to give you the super sharpest picture of your kid running down the field playing football like you get in the professional ones that are shared? Probably not, but they help you have the basic tools that you need to get the images and help you decide how you like to take pictures and the look of them. Photography is so personal in the settings that you choose and the lens that you choose or the focal length for that particular image. 
And I know a lot of you are saying, well, I'm standing here and I want to take a picture of that, so I'm going to zoom in. But the deeper you dive into photography and trying to choose the looks that you want for an image is, I know I'm getting really artsy-fartsy here, but all of that matters. And those kit lenses give you a starting place to see what those different focal lengths look like in your image and the changes that they make of you are designing that overall look and feel. So I took Edwindy's advice and I got a kit lens and I got a I got it from Autorama, I think. And I have been like this, just listening to Wendy just now in this episode, she has inspired me to go use it for the purpose it was made for other than just having it mounted on my desk for the video podcast. So now I have Yay! to... Yeah. I'm going to have to do like the personal adjustments and figure out how to use the camera finally. <laughs> now you're going to be artsy fartsy. Absolutely. I can't wait to be artsy fartsy. It's going to be awesome. He already was artsy fartsy. Our 53rd episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Destination Linux Network. Head to destinationlinux.network to check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There's so much more to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another blue light filtered artsy fartsy bonanza episode of Hardware Addicts. <laughs> artsy fartsy? Artsy Where did fartsy. that come from? It's an artsy I mean, fartsy bonanza. Good, but what's fartsy? I, what's it's the just, fartsy part? I don't. I don't know. It's a term that's. I mean, it's a term that's used Do for artists to describe pretentious art. I don't. I don't think it's. I think it's more of like a. It just rhymes. Dismissal. It's it a dismissal rhymes. thing. You know. Well, you could do artsy martsy. You don't have to do fartsy. I mean, why would you not use free. fartsy? It's what free. does martsy even mean? What does fartsy mean? You could be artsy while martsy. Michael.